This morning we turn to the Word of the Lord, and we're going to look at Colossians 2.20 and then verses 3, 1 through 4. And let's pray before we open the Word together this morning. Lord our God, we are thankful that You are a strong deliverer. We're thankful that in Your strength, according to Your divine plan to deliver people for Yourself, that You have spoken into this world, that You have given us Your Word, that You have given us the living Word. We pray this morning that You would speak to us by the power of Your Word, that You might deliver us from our sin, that You might deliver us from our anxieties and our fears, that You might deliver us from our sorrows, that You might deliver us from sin and from our adversary, from even the fiery pit of hell. We would find that our eyes are lifted up to you, and that we are gazing upon you in all of your beauty, a God of such strong delivering grace. Minister to us, we pray this morning, in the strong and mighty name of Christ we pray, amen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, and then skipping down to chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. But the grass withers, the flower fades, the Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, as we mentioned last week, for those of you that were here, uh, this is just a short sermon series, just three weeks, where we're looking at prepositions. She said, oh, it doesn't sound very exciting when you hear, oh, prepositions. Nobody gets up in the morning for prepositions, except if you are in Christ, because the prepositions, understanding our prepositions and our relation to the person of Christ make all of the difference in the Christian life, and it felt like just a good way to transition from what Pastor Kevin was doing these past four weeks where he was looking at Romans 6, and it's all about that identity in Christ, and then what I want to do here in two weeks is begin a sermon series as we launch through the book of Hebrews together, and really we are going to be focused on the person of Christ. It's just a good kind of bridge to continue to develop what Pastor Kevin did with you in Romans 6, and it bridges us well to exploring Hebrews together and looking at the person of Christ and our relationship uh, with Christ as Christians. 
As you think of prepositions, there are many different prepositions we could detail in our relations to Christ, that the Christian is for Christ, is under Christ, is in Christ, is by Christ, is with Christ, is under Christ, uh, and on we could go. And so what we chose to do is we're just going to take three of them. Last week we looked at what it looks like for the Christian to be in Christ. What I want to look at this week is what it looks like for the Christian to be with Christ. And then next week, as we just close out this short series, we'll look at what it looks like for the Christian to be for Christ. All of these prepositions used throughout the New Testament. And as we did last week, we're not going to go into all the intricacies of this passage. We're just going to look at what Paul is doing with that preposition with in this passage and how he maps it out for us in relation to Christ. It's important that we understand as Christians that we are in Christ as we saw last week and that we now also live a life with Christ and that these two realities, being in Christ and being with Christ, that they are absolutely inseparable from one another. If you have one, then you have the other. If you have one, then you have the former. We are justified in Christ. In Christ. That is, before the tribunal of God, you were declared righteous. It was not because of any righteousness of our own, but rather because we were in Christ. And because we were in Christ, we have the righteousness of Christ. He was wounded, as Isaiah will say, and pierced for our transgressions. When He died upon that cross, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He took our sin. He took the guilt of our sin upon Himself and paid the penalty for our sin, and then His righteousness, because He lived a holy life unto the Lord all of His days, that righteousness of Christ was then credited to our account. Our sin and the guilt of our sin credited to Him. His righteousness and His right standing before God credited to us. And so before the tribunal of God, if you are in Christ, you were declared righteous, forgiven. Now the Roman Catholic Church has often, through the centuries, looked at this doctrine of justification by faith alone that We are justified in Christ by having faith in Christ and in Christ alone. They have often mocked that and they've called it a legal fiction. Legal fiction. It's true that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, but here is where the Roman Catholic accusation against the Protestant doctrine of justification by faith alone falls flat. We are justified by faith alone, but that faith never remains alone. The justified sinner does not remain as he or she is. 
When we are justified, we become progressively what we were declared to be in Christ. This is no legal fiction. The justified sinner does not remain unchanged. But rather, the justified sinner changes in Christ with Christ as they dwell in union with Christ. We're united with Him. And so there is a radical change that occurs in the person by the power of the Spirit of Christ that indwells them. We become more and more what we already are in Christ as we dwell with Christ. It's inseparable. I love that 1964 uh, movie that is an adaption of the musical My Fair Lady. Uh, Audrey Hepburn is in it. She is absolutely brilliant uh, in that movie. Uh, In the movie, she is a seller of flowers in the street. She uh, is of the lower classes, and there is a linguist by uh, the name of Professor Henry Higgins, who finds her, and Henry Higgins decides that he is going to take this young Eliza Doolittle, who has this horrific accent, uh, this kind of uh, cockney accent that just, when she speaks, it's just, it's just shrill, and it just kind of makes you shrivel up inside as you hear it, and He is going to take her and he is going to translate her to the upper echelons of society. And so he dresses her up in all the fineries of all the elite class of London society at the time. And he has her dwell in his mansion of a house and he gives her all kinds of training. He has declared her to be part of the upper class, but she has that jarring accent, that ear-piercing noise when she speaks. And so Higgins is going to help her grow into the thing that he is presenting her as. He is going to change her manner, and he's going to change her character to match what he's declared her to be. Now here's the problem with this illustration. Henry Higgins is making her something she is not. Whereas in Christ, we are children of God. In Christ, we are saints. In Christ, we are seated in the heavens above with Christ. We are filled with His Spirit. We are in union with Him. If you are a Christian... You are with Christ now. Now. When we hear with Christ, our minds rightfully, they begin to run and we begin to think of something like Revelation 21. Heard Mr. Hinckley just open it up in class this morning. That Revelation 21 where you have this great moment where the new heavens and the new earth are being formed and the old heavens and the old earth are being burn up and are passing away. And you have that new city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens and it settles upon the earth. 
the saints of God, the people of God. We're settling upon the earth. And then you hear those wonderful words there in Revelation 21. God Himself will be with them as their God. He will dwell with them. Christ shall be with us. That's what makes heaven heaven. He said to the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be there also. And the Christian, that's the day that we long for. We're no longer looking through a glass dimly lit. But we see Him face to face as He is. We're with Him. That's all true in the future. The great promise of heaven is that you shall see Christ because you will be with Him. But it's not all future. Did Jesus say to the disciples before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. He is with us now. And we have been with him. And he has been with us. You have been and you are with Christ, dear Christian. And when you begin to understand that, everything in life just begins to take shape. But you've got to understand that. Paul speaks of our being with Christ in four ways in this passage. Four ways. He says we died with Christ. We were raised with Christ. We are hidden with Christ. And we will appear with Christ. That is, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and His return. They're all fundamental to our life because we were, and we are, and we shall be with Him. Now that takes some wrapping your mind around. So we're going to walk through that. These four things. You're with Christ. The first, Christian, you died with Christ. You died with Christ. In one very real sense, when Christ died upon the cross, He did not die alone. When He died, you died. What does that mean? Well, By faith, you were united with Him. And so as he died, so you died. Paul says, verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. It's not a question, it's a statement on his behalf. He's saying if you were in Christ, you were with Christ when he died upon the cross. He died, you died. What does Paul say? For I have been crucified with Christ in Galatians. Have been. What does that mean? Well, before I came to faith in college, I was an atheist. And freshman year, I came to saving faith in Christ in college. And, and who I was before that freshman year in college, that person died when I came to saving faith. 
That Jason ceased to be. Why? Because he died with Christ. That Jason who was enslaved to sin. That Jason who could not do anything that was ultimately good. That Jason that was an enemy of God. That Jason who the guilt of his sin was still upon. He died. He literally no longer exists. He's dead. Dead. Why? Because he died with Christ. Did Christ truly die? Yes. Did that old Jason truly die? Yes. He's dead. There are incredible implications of this. Some of you are still carrying around the guilt of what you did before you came to know Christ. It's often, right, when we're laying on those, our bed at night and it's dark and it feels like all the world has gone to sleep and it's the middle of the night. The guilt begins to creep in. can't believe I did this. How awful that I did that. You begin to be gripped with that guilt. Don't. You die. person died. That scoundrel was dead. That penalty was paid. That you no longer exist. And when you and I carry around the burden of the guilt for past sins, we make a mockery of the fact that we died. And we make a mockery of the fact that Christ died. You died with Him. Paul's point in Colossians 2 and 3 is to point out that because you died, you're not to continue to live as you once lived. That's his point here in Colossians 2 and 3. That's the great implication for him in this text, that you died, you died with Christ, and so our second point, a new you, a, a you, a new you was raised with Christ. 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you have faith in Christ, then you not only died with Christ, but you were also raised with Christ. You were raised a new person, a new you. We often go back to that passage in John 3 where Jesus was with Nicodemus and he's talking with Nicodemus and we use the language from that. You were born again. That old Jason died. Ah, yes, he died. But a new Jason rose. A new one was born. Sin no longer has a hold. No longer am I under its dominion. No longer under the guilt of sin. I am now set free. 
free to do what? To do good. To serve God. I can seek the things that are above, as Paul says in verse 2. I can put to death these sins that cling so closely that He will walk through in verses 5-11. through I can put on these things, these things of righteousness and goodness that He speaks about in verses 12-17. through Why? Why is it that I'm able to do that? Because I've been raised with Christ. The Christian is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come been raised with Christ. And Paul's point is that you can't continue to live as if you were the old you. Because you aren't the old you. Every illustration I've tried to think of this week has failed me. As This is the best one I can come up with. Maybe it's the closest there is. It's like a butterfly. You see that butterfly in all of its glory with beautiful wings and all of the colors that mark its wings. Those tinges of iridescent blue and green and yellow. And If that butterfly was continuing instead of flying through the air, it was rather had all of its legs just spread apart and it was just in the mud on the ground and it was just trying to snake across the ground in the mud. You could speak to that butterfly. You would say, oh, butterfly, you're so beautiful. You're no longer what you were. Why are you wallowing in that mud? supposed to be soaring above it. You're living far below what you now are. Notice the verb tense. If then you have been raised with Christ. Paul is not speaking about the Christian's future resurrection. That's not what he's doing here. The tense here is what we will call the perfect tense. It's a past tense. It's a completed past tense. You have been raised. It's done. You have been raised. This is a present reality. So, Paul says, because you have been raised, you are to seek the things that are above. Why are you to seek the things that are above? Well, he tells you because that's where Christ is. And you are with Christ. Third, verse 3. You are hidden with Christ. You and I so need to be reminded of this. We have not only died with Christ, we have not only been resurrected with Christ, but you are now hid with Christ. Where is Christ? Paul says here, verse 1, He is above. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is He seated? Because He is reigning. 
He's ruling. He has all authority and all dominion. Paul says in Ephesians 2.6, By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him, and He has seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are with Christ now, seated above. And what are you doing as you are seated with Him above? You're reigning. You're reigning with Him. Some mysterious way, by virtue of our union with Christ, you as a Christian are seated, enthroned above, reigning with Christ. That can't be seen with the human eye. It's hidden, Paul says. But just because it's hidden, it's no less a reality than this pulpit is a reality right here. In fact, it's even more than a reality than this pulpit is a reality because Mr. Hinckley could come up here with a hammer and he could dash this pulpit to pieces and he could grind it down and it would disappear. But there is nothing that can take away the reality that you are reigning with Christ. Nothing. Again, incredible implications flow from this. I feel as though you are beneath people's feet in this world, thought little of, disregarded, spit upon, maybe even persecuted as a Christian, the lowest of the low. But you see, this is only the life that you can see with the eye. You reign above. You're seated above. You're hidden with Christ above. When Jesus was on earth, Isaiah prophesied even before He came, He prophesied that He would have no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. He was hidden. And yet, even at the moment that He was hidden before the eyes of men, there were angels in heaven that were literally covering their faces with their wings because they could not dare look upon His beauty. That glorious at the same time. As He is hidden, was hidden, so it is true of you, dear Christian. The world can't see you as you are now. In fact, sees it often despises. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. But you are now with Christ reigning. I love paraphrase that quote from C.S. Lewis. I love that quote from C.S. Lewis where he says something along the lines of, he says, if you and I were to see each other now as we shall be someday, we would be prone to bow down and worship one another. A wonderful little thought. 
I'll tweak it a little bit. I, I think if we had a glimpse who one another are even now enthroned above with Christ, we would be prone to bow down and worship one another. We died with Christ, we were raised with Christ, we are hidden with Christ, and finally you will appear with Christ. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You are united with Christ in His return. The Son of God appeared, the first time in the world there was a star that was set in the sky that needed to be there to, so that some men would recognize that he had come into the world and only some recognized it. His coming was subtle. He was ushered into the world in a cattle stall under the cover of darkness. He could easily be missed and most of the world slept through that night that he was born into the world not knowing that the Son of God had come into the world. It will not be that way when He comes again. His glory shall fill the sky. And the angels and the archangels, a myriad of the host of heaven, will be around Him. But it won't just be them that are with Him. It will be the Christian. All those that are with Him in glory now will descend with Him. And all those that are here on earth will meet Him in the air. And our bodies will meet our souls. And we shall be with Him. We shall appear even as He appears. And there will be no mistaking Him. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that this One is Lord. And we shall be with Him in His glory. United with Christ in His return. I love how John says it in 1 John. He says that we know we shall be like Him because when He appears, we shall see Him as He is. Be with Him. We'll become like Him. The Christian, we died with Him, we were raised with Him, we're hidden with Him, and we will appear with Him. You're with Christ now and forevermore. And that means, Paul's implication is that means that we are to live differently. We've been united with another, and that changes everything. When I was in high school and college, I loved some pretty extreme sports. Um, backpacking for a couple weeks in the mountains was the tamest. I loved to go rock climbing. I uh, loved to go spelunking or cave exploring, uh, non-commercialized caves. I went skydiving, jumping out of a perfectly good plane. Uh, it was actually, uh, Leah and I had just started dating, and I took her with me to watch me in all of my machismo jump out of a good plane and free fall through the air for 60 seconds. She will say that 
she was standing on the ground and she was looking up at that plane and she said something along these lines. She said, well, Lord, I guess if you're going to want me to marry this guy, he'll survive this. Uh, and I did, obviously. But then I got married and everything changed. It changed. Why? Because I was with Leah. I'm with her. You might say, well, why did you give up jumping out of planes or climbing rocks or exploring unexplored caves? Well, it lost its appeal. My affections changed. Other things seemed much more important and much more valuable. I was now with Leah. That reckless, crazy Jason seems like a fool to me now. Being alive for her matters a lot more than the thrill of even free-falling for 60 seconds. And then I became a father. And I couldn't even imagine doing any of those things now. Paul's immediately implication for you and I that we are with Christ, that we're with Him, that we died with Him, that we were raised with Him. Is that verse 5 and following chapter 3, we are to live differently. He says, put to death, therefore. Put on, therefore. You are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Your affections change. Desires are to change. We're to love what Christ loves. We're to hate what Christ hates. Because we're with Him. Set your mind on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth, Paul says here. The response of the Christian is, how could I do anything else? He's not talking about forgetting that you have a job or that you have a mortgage or that you aren't to be concerned with your neighborhood or even that you're to stop enjoying things on earth. Even if you want to jump out of a plane, then jump out of a plane. That's not his concern. Rather, it is this. He is contrasting that which is righteous and holy with that which is that which is keeping in status with the stature that we have been given in Christ. He's saying this is what you are to be marked by and that is to be contrasted with what you were before. What you died to. That person died. A new you has been resurrected. And so the things that were enjoyable here, the things of darkness, when you were following the prince of the power of the air, when you were a son of disobedience, that you died. Those things are no longer attractive. You are a child of the living God. You're with Christ. And so the things of Christ are what are lovely to you. You reign with Christ. And you shall reign with Christ in glory forever. For me 
to live is Christ, said the Apostle. For me to live is Christ. I've been united with Him. He's given us all things. He's to be our delight now. As He will be your delight for all of eternity. As you dwell with Him. Understand that preposition. It just kind of changes everything in the Christian life. Be worth thinking about this afternoon. It's your home. Meditate upon that. What's it mean that I died with Him? What does it mean that I was raised with Him? What does it mean that I am hidden with Him? What's it mean that I'll appear with Him? Ah, you spend days, weeks, months, eternity thinking upon that. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do exalt you this morning. We're thankful for your exceeding kindness to us. You took wretched sinners, rebels, united them to your blessed Son and our Savior. We pray that we would live as those who are in Christ and with Christ. We would find that we love what Christ loves and hates what Christ hates. And that we know what it means to live and move and have our being in Him. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, to do to the glory of our God. And for me to live as Christ. It may be true of us more and more. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.